This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Here you go. Here you go. Assumptions. Nothing personal. Word of the day is assumptions. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to give you a quote. It's a quote from probably my favorite actor. His name is Alan Alda. Starred as Hawkeye Pierce in the TV series MASH. He was on West Wing. He's been in a ton of movies, Murder at 1600. Sorry, Alan, I know that's not what we want to be known for. Here's his quote. Your assumptions are your windows on the world. Scrub them off every once in a while or the light won't come on. Alan Alda turned 84 years old. He's all into science. He just started a new pod. He is, uh, he's embraced technology. He's tried to marry science and technology. He played, his life is known as a doctor, Dr. Hawkeye Pierce, in the show MASH. I had many opportunities to meet Alan Alda, which just makes me lucky. He's a Broadway actor, was in Jake's Women, was in Betsy's Wedding, the movie. I want you to think about this quote. I'm going to say it again. Your assumptions are your windows on the world. Scrub them off every once in a while or the light won't come in. You know how when you don't clean your bathroom and it gets so disgusting that it's so gross you just can't even know where to start so it gets worse and worse? You know how when you go into a public bathroom that already has tissue on the floor so when you use a tissue you just have no problem with it being on the floor, falling on the floor? But what happens when you go into a bathroom that's clean? You take a tissue, a paper towel, you try to make a basket and you miss. If it's a perfectly clean bathroom, don't you pick it up? Don't you pick it up and then throw it out? You don't want to be ever the first piece of toilet paper or tissue paper on the ground. You're happy to be the 20th, but you're never going to be the first. What Alan Alda is saying here is that we have a view of how we look at the world. And when we think that there's nothing we can do or we make an assumption about the way we look at something and we don't sort of dust it off and think about why we think the way we think, why we have the predispositions to believe certain things, we got to test those theories every once in a while. Alan Alda told us to do it. We should all do it. And I'm going to start. And I'm going to start right now. Yesterday, I took a position, and I, I actually thought I was right, but then I did more work, and I let people show me that I was wrong. There was a whole topic about Deion Sanders and the rant that he went on about who's worthy of being a Hall of Famer and who's not, and how too many people are being in the Hall of Fame, and I said, hey, Dion, you are a borderline Hall of Famer. I'm wrong. Dion is one of the best cornerbacks of all time not a borderline Hall of Famer, you get two choices when you have your own show, right? You can just let things go when you're wrong, 
and just do a little tiny segment called errors like they do on another show or do wait to seize like I do and when you're right, you're right. When you're wrong, you're wrong. Or you can go all in. When I say something that's wrong or I have an opinion that has been changed, it's not a factual assertion, right? Is he a borderline Hall of Famer? That's not saying two plus two is four and I got the fact wrong. Or the Niners have only won four Super Bowls when they've won five. This is a judgment call. What I'm willing to tell all of you as loyal listeners and watchers of this show is that if I have thought about something but not fully considered it or not given it the proper time, I'm going to admit it. And I was wrong with Deion Sanders. There's nothing borderline about him. I will have accountability for all of you every single time, everything I say. We're going to do a bunch of updates today. A bunch of stories have recirculated. One thing that the internet has changed, for better or for worse, social media has made it. So when, we, when we're in charge of PR, when you work for a company and bad things happen, you try to bury it. In, in newsrooms, they call it the Friday dump is, is a word that used to be called, and I'm not talking about anything related to plumbing. It's when you get out all sorts of news late in the day or we would release items after newspapers had gone to print. There used to be something, if you can imagine, called a deadline. And if you did not get information to a paper by the deadline, it could not be in the next day's paper. So if we wanted to bury something, we would make sure that we released it by press release after a deadline. The way things work now, there are no deadlines. It's a 24-hour news cycle. There's no way to bury any stories. You bury it on Friday as a dump. Guess what? It comes right back at you. So I want to update three things because lest you think that anyone's forgotten, this story is alive and well and kicking. The next two topics. First one, China. Yes, China and the NBA. We've talked about it. You know the story. Daryl Morey. The GM of the Houston Rockets tweeted his support of Hong Kong during the protests of their independence, and people in China were not happy. The government of China was not happy. It was a huge deal. China is a huge money machine for the National Basketball Association. And guess what? We told you here on Nothing Personal, this is a big deal. This is not a shekel or two we're talking about. This is going to be hundreds of millions of dollars in lost revenue for the NBA. This is going to bleed all the way down to the players. That's when you're going to know that Daryl Morey is finished. Remember, I told you, the Rockets have to not win the title, and then he's going to be fired. There is a belief in NBA circles right now that the China deal cost the NBA between 150 and $200 million of current day revenue. I'm not buying it the number's way higher. Why does any of this matter? Why are you focused as a fan of basketball? So the rich owners get a little less money. Well, that's not exactly how it works. The reality is that if there's less revenue to be distributed to teams, that has a direct impact on the luxury tax threshold, the salary cap. In basketball, there is a salary cap. You spend to the cap, there's a floor. And there are teams that base decisions based on what they believe to be the luxury tax threshold. The threshold was supposed to be $141 million. There is a possibility that the luxury tax will go down from 141 to 138. That's a $3 million decrease. Ugh, what's that? $3 million. 
owners. They, they go to the bathroom and they lose $3 million. No, it matters much, and here's why. When you're putting your team together and you're worried about whether or not you're going to be over the cap and you've signed contracts of players that are guaranteed, you have certain assumptions that you're making on what the penalties you're willing to pay for how much and what percentage you are over that cap. If the cap changes in a way that it never has, meaning gone down, it's never gone down. If it goes down, that will impact not just the heat. I'm talking Lakers. All you Lakers fans out there, get ready. Heat as well. Warriors, for sure, with Draymond Green and his extension starting for a team that has the worst record or close to the worst record in basketball. The fact is what Daryl Morey did is going to change lives. It impacted not just money, but now we're talking livelihood. This is when jobs get lost. This is not a small situation. And I don't think the $200 million is right. I don't think the NBA will ever admit it. I think it starts with a five. I think it's closer to half a billion dollars. Second thing that keeps uh, second story that I can't stop talking about because there's something new every day. And uh, here's what happens when you're when you have a crisis. The sign stealing scandal in Major League Baseball is a crisis. We know this. We know there's a crisis of confidence, which is the word we use when we say, hey, we are having a problem with our consumers. They no longer believe that there is full integrity on the field. Sign-stealing scandal is taking that integrity and putting it into question in a way that some people argue is the same as when you gamble on a game. I disagree completely. But now it's getting worse and worse. There are people who have so much time on their hands, so much, that here's what they're doing. Now, I don't want to hear it. Actually, you know what? Tweet at me. Get to me at David P. Sampson. Tell me I'm crazy. Tell me you want more of this. There's a guy named Tony Adams. He started an email or website called signstealingscandal.com. This guy spent over 50 hours of his life. Let's say you work eight hours a day. Let's say you sleep eight hours a day. That leaves you eight more hours in the day for pleasure. If he spent 50 hours doing this, that is over six days of his non-sleeping, non-working pleasure time. That's almost a week. That's 152nd of a year. If you live to 100 years old, that, I, I'm not even doing the math for you. It's a long time to spend. I could do the math. As a matter of fact, while I'm telling you that I can't do the math, I'm doing the math, did the math, not giving you the number because I still don't know if it's exactly right. But it is. Do you really want to know how many bangs there were in every game? How many pitches? How many times Jose Altuve had an at-bat in 2017 where you heard a bang? 2.8% of the pitches in the games that he watched on video, he heard a bang. He couldn't hear any whistles, claps, shouts. He heard bangs. I hear voices. I wonder if we can steal signs by having players hear voices in their head. I bet Leonardo DiCaprio from Shutter Island would be super good at that. My point is that, Tony, tell me what you're trying to accomplish. Are you trying to say that the players who heard the bangs had better performance? Are you trying to say there were a group of games in the June-July area where banging was at an all-time high? 
But then after, after Danny Farrakhar walked off the mound in September complaining about something that the bangs all of a sudden stopped, and that means they're guilty, we know they're guilty. We know they banged trash cans. We know they stole signs. We also know they're keeping their trophy. We also know players aren't getting suspended. Why is it that we're digging? What are we trying to find? When do you let a story go? This is not about freedom of the press. I'm not trying to quash investigation. I'm not trying to suppress the truth. People get so confused these days. Just because I'm telling you that it's enough does not mean that it's always too little or sometimes too much. It means there are certain stories. It's time for them to end. What are you going to learn? John Boy is another example of a Twitter phenomenon, a YouTube maven. Totally jealous of him. He gets millions of hits. But he sits around all day. He finds video. And then he makes a point through the video. What are we accomplishing? I'm waiting. Anybody. Anybody tell me what Tony Adams did adds to the greater good of Major League Baseball. Helps fans get through the tragedy of sign stealing. We've talked tragedies this week. Sign stealing is not a tragedy. Does doing it get through the integrity issue where now you can say, we've heard the bangs. We know that Altuve was 2.8%, but Springer was 14%. We know which games had how many bangs. Is that helpful to you? That's the criteria. Keep digging when there's help to be had. Red Sox. What are the Red Sox doing? What are they doing? So, you're Kyan Bloom. You're the chief baseball officer. It's the end of January. Today is January checking. Hold, please. January 30th, 2020. Spring training starts in 10 days. And you don't have a manager? Is that possible? Is it possible they're still interviewing candidates, trying to figure out who to bring in for the 2020 season? Are they looking at a four-year deal? Why aren't they doing what Houston did? I don't think they did it right, but at least they only gave Dusty a one-year deal plus an option. Why would you go through an interview process this rushed, this much under the gun with spring training hovering over you like a drone at 2,000 feet? And you're waiting? Ah, we found a reason. We did some internet sleuthing. Sleuthing? Sleuthing. And we found out that the Red Sox may be deliberately not hiring a manager because they're waiting to see what their punishment will be from Major League Baseball in the sign-stealing scandal. Well, internet sleuths, let me tell you a thing or two. That's not what they're waiting for. It is completely irrelevant. Let's go through it. Let's say the Red Sox lose their first-round draft pick for the next 10 years. They have a fine of $150 million, and they're forced to trade four players, and John Henry is forced to never fly again privately. That's the punishment. You must fly commercially, and you have no draft picks. That's the punishment. Does that impact who their manager is? Ah, I got it. I got it. I got it. Here's the punishment. Alex Corey, you're suspended for two years. Dave Dombrowski, you're fired. You've got six months. We're f fining you $3 million and you lost your first round pick next year. 
Ah, now we can hire a manager. I got it. Chaim, go ahead. We know our punishment. Hire a manager. No. It has nothing to do with it, folks. At all. The reason they are not hiring a manager is they are having the internal struggle that the Red Sox commonly have. They want to give control of baseball to Chaim Bloom, but they can't. They are unable to let go of control. It would be very wise to do so, but they can't. Believe me, I know of these things. It's hard to give control to your baseball people when you're sure you know better. And the funny thing is baseball people keep getting younger and owners and team presidents keep getting older. It's hard. You got to make a decision, Boston. I'm still telling you you should get Ron Renke in. Oh, I know what it is. Got it. Got it. They're waiting to name Ron Renke until baseball. What happens if baseball says, hey, when Ron Renke was there, he was stealing signs and he's going to get, he was part of it, he's going to get suspended. So now they've got to wait to see if Ron Renke will get suspended before promoting him. Oh, no, that's not it either. Because you know what happens in the real world? You pick up the phone and you call Rob, the commissioner. Hey, Rob, here's my situation. I want to put Ron Renneke in as manager. Is that a good idea? And Rob would say, you know what? I'd wait a day or two. That sort of is telling you something, isn't it? Go ahead, Johnny. I think it's a great idea. People think that you don't call the commissioner or that you're in touch with the commissioner. Every team is in touch with the commissioner or one of his representatives when they make decisions. Every single team. All these big shot teams who claim that they act on their own. They do nothing with the commissioner's office. They do whatever they want to do. It's no problem at all. It makes me laugh. It actually, you know, Richard Sherman has it wrong. Richard Sherman was interviewed. He's down here at Media Day. You know, he's, there's, there's actually going to be a Super Bowl. I know that's hard to imagine. But there is going to be a game. I know that after two weeks of this sort of insanity, we have a whole studio here at CBS Sports HQ. It's a buzz. I mean, can you hear it? It's a buzz because of all the excitement with the Super Bowl. All of anchors going back and forth to Radio Row. We're live. We've got players coming on. We've got, it's just, it's a, it's a sort of panoply of excitement. And then there's a game. So Richard Sherman was asked a question, and uh, he was asked about the Rooney Rule. You know, how come no one ever asks any white players about the Rooney Rule? Why is it that players actually have no answer about the Rooney Rule? Oh, another epiphany for you folks. Players have nothing to do with the hiring of coaches. Zero. Why are you wasting your time asking Richard Sherman about his view of the Rooney Rule? Because there's such a desperation for stories. There's a need to fill inches, 240 characters, 10 column inches, 12 minutes of podcast time, 8 minutes of time on a sportscast or a newscast. Oh my God, I've got Richard Sherman. I'm going to ask him. Let's see if he'll say something controversial. We're going to ask about the Rooney Rule. And he had the perfect answer. He said, me, why aren't you asking owners about the Rooney Rule? You know what the Rooney Rule is. The Rooney Rule is whether or not teams go through a process to interview and strongly consider minority candidates to be head coaches. Why are there not more minority head coaches? Roger Goodell stood up in his State of the Union address. I think they call it State of the NFL. It's always the state of something. State of the Union, State of the County, State of the City, 
State of the State is one of my favorite ones. I just call that State Squared. Roger Goodell did State of the NFL, as though sports is so important that we need a State of the NFL address, but we get it. Roger Goodell stood up. He was asked a ton of questions. One of them was about the Rooney Rule, and he had an answer that I, I sort of saw the, the, the S-H-I-T emoji. You know that pile of poop emoji that you can put on your phone? I sort of saw it floating around over his head, sort of, you know, like in cartoons when you have the bubbles? And people were asking him all these questions, and all he kept thinking, I kept thinking, is that he had a bubble, <laughs> and, and the bubble was like this emoji of dog poop. He doesn't want to answer questions about the Rooney Rule. He wants focus to be on the field, but he said, and he was prepped to say this, and that bothers me even more. He said, hey, we definitely have to take a look. We definitely need to take a look at what we're doing in that regard. Not acceptable. We have to do better. So, Roger, what are you going to do exactly? Well, here's how it works. Owners choose coaches. Richard Sherman says go to owners and ask the questions. The problem with Richard Sherman's view is that it's not a realistic possibility because you're never going to get an answer. I'm giving you an answer because I'm not a president anymore and I never want to be again because I want to be with you every day for the next many decades or until Coca leaves, whichever comes first, which may mean today's the last show. Owners will hire whoever they want. Some owners have a predilection toward racism. Some owners have a predilection towards misogyny or sexism. Some owners have a predilection toward the opposite, where it's absolute affirmative action, where they will hire a minority no matter what. Some owners want to hire the best. Some owners hire who they think is the best. Some owners hire who they're told is the best. What's the one word in common in every scenario I just gave you? Owner. The owner's in charge. However, do you know what happens when an owner calls the commissioner and says, hey, Roger, what do you think of Ron Rivera as a coach? Do you know what the commissioner says? He'd be great. He's great. Bring him in. Come on, Danny Snyder, do it. We need it. We need the number. Yes. <laughs> it's funny, right? Ron Rivera may be the perfect coach for the Redskins, but Roger Goodell has an interest in numbers. He had an interest in making sure a minority candidate was hired by anybody. But you can always call your commissioner to get information. Who's looking at who? What's your view of this? What are you thinking about in the suspension department? You think Robert Kraft first hears about a, a discipline about Deflategate or Spygate or anything when he gets a Twitter alert? or a text alert, a CBS breaking news alert. That's how Robert Kraft finds out what it is. The Red Sox are subscribers to CBS, and they will know about Ron Renneke as soon as we break the news. No, it's not at all how it works. It's preposterous, actually. Another update. Oh, my God, we got such a fun fight coming up. Ready? Okay, here we go. Uh, I, I have so many people asking me about this. And it's, I thought it was boring. But I guess there's people who live around the country in small towns and little cities 
or sometimes big cities without big league teams, and they're totally focused on this conflict between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. Remember, we talked about this. Major League Baseball is looking to contract 40 teams out of Minor League Baseball. There's 160 Minor League teams right now affiliated with Major League teams, and the Major League teams want to make it 120 teams. It is a war out there. They're negotiating an agreement. There's an agreement right now that it dictates the relationship between minor league baseball and major league baseball. Major league baseball gives players to minor league teams. Those players play, get developed in order to become major league players and get to the big league team. When we draft a player, we send him to a minor league team. 95 out of 100 times that's owned by a separate individual, totally unaffiliated with the big league team. We then supply coaches, we supply equipment, and we watch the players develop and hope that they become big leaguers. Of course, as you know, becoming a big league player is nearly impossible. Even if you're drafted, you have like an 18% chance at best of having a cup of coffee in the big leagues. Cup of coffee is an expression we use when you've got like a day of service. But if you think you're going to be a major leaguer, so 18% of drafted players make the big leagues for over for a day. Only 8% of players drafted get even three years in the big leagues. Remember we talk about arbitration? To get to arbitration, you have to be on your team three years. 8% of drafted players make it to arbitration. If you're drafted after the 25th round, guess what? You have a 1% chance of making arbitration. 1%. That's it. It's impossible to be a big leaguer. You think it's hard just to get drafted? The hard thing is getting drafted. The harder thing is making it to the big leagues. The hardest thing is staying in the big leagues. That's the line we give players when they're called up for the first time. They're all excited. And we totally dampen their excitement. They've got their family coming in. They want to get their first big league hit, their first big league home run. I sit down, every one of them, with the manager, the GM, and say, listen, you think it was hard just to get this call up? No. The hardest thing you'll ever do is not be sent down. So the fighting that's going on right now, Pat O'Connor is sort of the president of the Minor League Baseball Association. Then you've got Rob Mann from the Commissioner of Baseball. Dan Hallam is the deputy commissioner. He's the one who's the chief negotiator for the new collective bargaining agreement with baseball, uh, with the union, and with this new agreement with Minor League Baseball, as well as myriad other things that Dan Hallam does. They are fighting in the public square about this issue. So I want to explain what happened and why it got some attention yesterday. Because minor league baseball did something that you should never do. And I'm going to put it in non-sports terms. You never pick a fight with someone twice your size who has four times more friends and ten times more money and ammunition. That's a general rule of thumb. Don't pick a fight where you have zero chance to prevail. Minor League Baseball has zero chance to prevail in its arguments with Major League Baseball from an intellectual standpoint, from a legal standpoint, from a practical standpoint. They have no shot. Pat O'Connor wrote this long letter to baseball. It came from Minor League Baseball, unsigned. Then Dan Hallam responded, going point by point, and I want to just bring up Two of the points that meant, meant something to me that is, I would say there's several misconceptions. The first one is that everyone in baseball 
um, as, as a baseball executive, loves baseball. That's a misconception. The second one is that everyone who works for a baseball team does nothing but hang out and talk to players. That's the second misconception. Third and biggest misconception is every baseball team makes money on an operating basis every year. Three major misconceptions. Minor League Baseball and its relationship with Major League Baseball, there are some definite misconceptions. What you're hearing from Minor League Baseball is that baseball wants to remove baseball from 40 communities around the country. Not true. What Major League Baseball wants to do is they want to unaffiliate 40 teams but they want to keep those cities with teams in a separate concept called a dream league or a showcase league, which means there will still be games to go to. When you live in a small town in New York or Pennsylvania or Iowa or Nebraska and you go to a game, do you go because you're the double-A team for the San Francisco Giants? Or do you go because on a Tuesday night, it's a perfect way to spend time with friends, family, or business associates. You're going to a baseball game. I would argue persuasively that as fans of a sit in a city, if you've got a team, you don't care if you're affiliated with a certain league or not, you wanna just have a game to go to with a ticket, with concessions, with hot dogs. Minor League Baseball is consistently saying that we are trying, we, I keep saying we, I'm not an MLB hack. Believe me, I've gone against Rob and everybody in baseball enough that you should know that by now. It's a they. Koki, you gotta correct me when I say we, we're a they. We're a they, get it, I did it again. You're not paying attention. There is no doubt that minor league baseball believes that taking baseball out of 40 communities will hurt those communities. Here's what minor league baseball isn't telling you. Do you know how many teams have moved in minor league baseball? Dan Hallam, in his letter back to Pat O'Connor, gave the statistics of the number of teams who have moved and over how many years, and here's what happens when a minor league team moves. They move because the stadium that the minor league owner is in is not sufficient. That's what Major League Baseball wants, better stadiums. Minor league owners move when they find a community elsewhere who's willing to give them more public money in subsidies. That's what Major League Baseball wants for minor league owners to do. Minor league baseball owners move when they feel their team will be worth more in another place with reckless indifference to whether, that, whether or not it is more convenient for the parent team, for travel, whether or not the hotel situation is the same, whether or not they're further or closer to the teams that they play during the course of a season. Minor league team owners move their team for money. Minor league team owners move their teams because they want their teams to be worth more. And yet minor league team owners are negotiating with baseball and saying, we want to make sure that our 40 communities don't lose baseball. You're full of it. You're the ones who let teams move. How do you explain that? That you're protecting all these communities? Disingenuous. You got caught. Everything you said to Dan Hallam and Major League Baseball Every part of it was wrong. You're threatening Congress? I'd like you to interview 25 minor league owners right now and tell me if they understand the antitrust exemption. I want to know if they understand that if they go to Congress and try to get the antitrust exemption lifted and have it not apply to baseball, the impact it will have on minor league baseball. Did they have the first idea that the very reason 
that Major League Baseball teams affiliate with minor league baseball associations is the antitrust exemption. It's infuriating to me. I'm just going to conclude by saying this. Minor League Baseball better stop sending letters and stop going public because you think you're currying favor. You think there's an actual possibility that Major League Baseball will bluff or blink. Trust me, I was in the game 18 years. They neither bluff nor blink. And when you are intellectually inferior at every level, which you are, you have no shot. Take a deal that Major League Baseball is offering. It's your best chance. Okay, it's Oscar time. I reviewed another best picture. Ford v. Ferrari. Christian Bale. Do you know Christian Bale filmed Vice? Do you guys remember Vice? In Vice, he played an uh, um, uh, overweight guy. And uh, he lost 70 pounds after Dick Cheney. Thank you very much. Thank you, Coca. That is the first time Coca's actually been helpful. I can't believe how happy I am. In Vice, he played Dick Cheney. <laughs> he gained 70 pounds to play Dick Cheney. He had to lose it all to play a driver. Last name, Miles. True story. Ford v. Ferrari. Whose birthday is today, Coca? Christian Bale's birthday is today. Perfect. Have you ever heard of Christian Bale give an interview? He is the best actor. He wins. He's just amazing. I think I thought he had an absolutely American accent. And then I heard him give an interview. I couldn't understand a word the guy said. I literally couldn't understand a word. It's such a thick Welsh accent. And then he does a movie like this with a hard-to-understand British accent, and you sort of catch on. You've got Matt Damon, who is not looking at all like Jason Bourne anymore. Time loses to nobody. You've got Christian Bale in a true story about Ford Motor Company and how they tried to win the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Le Mans, some people call it Le Mans. That's the people who don't speak French. Le Mans, L-E, new word, M-A-N-S. 24-hour race car, race. 1966, never before won by an American-made car. Henry Ford, the deuce, the second, the grandson of the Henry Ford, wrote a check, blank, and said, build me, Tracy Shelby, Carol Shelby, Trent Shelby. Mr. Shelby was the name of the character that Matt Damon played. Carol Shelby? Carol Shelby. Blank check, build me a car. And they built a Ford race car, GT, I'm doing this from memory, 140, I want to say. Something I've never driven. But Miles won Le Mans. Le Mans. Is that the whole movie? Is that worth seeing? Is that my review? The movie's okay. No acting nomination for Bailey. Got the Golden Globe. He was good. Matt Damon, whatever. The character development, eh. The true story, not all that compelling. The racing scenes, the cinematography, the authenticity of the old cars, and the way you see Christian Bale driving them in racing. This sort of tension between Ferrari and Ford. It sort of reminded me of the Cold War when America, we want to be the first to the moon, we want to be the first to everything. We wanted to win from the Italians, those bad Italian people, Ferrari. It's like we made Ferrari out to be the enemy in this movie. I don't really understand. I never viewed Ferrari as an enemy. I viewed it as unattainable, right? That's what a Ferrari is. But back in the day, the competition was so significant among these men, and Ford ends up winning as the first American-made car. Well, how come people don't care why did this movie get green-lighted? 
One reason. They cut the budget and they got Bale and Damon. Two major movie stars who had never worked together, who acknowledged that they did the movie because they wanted to work together. I love that. Don't say you did it. It's the best bit of writing I'd ever seen. I was so excited to learn how to drive stick shift. I couldn't believe that I wanted to spend six weeks on a remote desert island filming this movie. No, I wanted to work with Christian Bale. I appreciate your honesty, Matt Damon. This movie has no chance to win. If you don't have time to watch all Oscar-nominated movies, put this one on the bottom of your list. I'm glad I saw it, but I certainly wouldn't call it a perfect movie. Okay, we're talking pedophilia. How's that? Is that a good segue? Coca talks to me and teaches me about segues. You got to give a good segue. When you're talking Ford v. Ferrari, and then you're going to talk about the New Orleans Saints, you need a word, you need a segue. Pedophilia, that's my segue. If you don't like it, Coca, I'm sorry. Following up on another story. Remember when I lost my mind about the New Orleans Saints and how ridiculous it was that Gail Benson, the owner of the Saints, was having her PR people assist the church in New Orleans as they did messages, created press releases, and conceptualized ways of answering all the lawsuits regarding all of their church leaders who were pedophiles and how disgusting it was that she made her PR team do it. The news today got so much worse, I never dreamt it was possible. It literally didn't even occur to me. There is a report today. So here's what happened. Lawyers for the men, boys who are now men, boys became men, boys to men. Yeah, boys, they're boys to men. That's a group, singing group. They hired lawyers, they are trying to get documents released. They are suing the church and the men who molested them, who are now much older. They're un, it's called discovery, when you get to see documents that you weren't ever supposed to see. But legally, you now get to see them as part of a lawsuit. The documents that came out showed that the New Orleans Saints didn't just give advice to the archdiocese, which to me is bad enough. The New Orleans Saints apparently coached the Archdiocese of New Orleans and even went so far as to assist them in determining which names of the pedophiles should or should not have been included in the list of pedophiles. Marinate on that. The New Orleans Saints football team not just was helping the archdiocese, they were getting involved in which names would be redacted and left off a list. Why is that? Remember I talked about how some stories you should just stop digging and some stories you got to keep going? Yeah, the Astros stole signs. Stop digging. Tony Adams, I got a new one for you. Get me a list of every single pedophile who's a member of the clergy. Don't just watch the movie Spotlight. Find out exactly who the Saints wanted redacted and then find out how much money the Benson family gave to that guy's church. Find out the personal relationship between the Benson family and the men who did not want to be who the Bensons did not want on that list. And then you tell me, Roger Goodell, what you're going to do. You're worried about banging cans or the Rooney rule? I'm more worried that you're telling me that there could be a team that played a role in hiding pedophiles. You want to talk real life? 
change-ups, curveballs, fastballs, making sure certain men have a better opportunity or women, all of which is important and good. It doesn't even deserve to be in the same arena as what's going on in the Catholic Church and with pedophilia. Okay, next. There was a suspension yesterday. I want to get to this. It's important to me. And I want to make it important to you. There's a correspondent named Matt Gutman. Matt Gutman is the ABC chief national correspondent. This means he's not a sports guy. He's not a political guy. He's an every guy. When there's a big news story, he's covering it. Chief correspondent, chief national correspondent. Guess what? He's now been suspended by ABC. He's the guy who reported the day that Kobe Bryant's helicopter crashed, that it was Kobe Bryant plus four of his daughters, which would be all of his daughters, who were on the helicopter. He had that information. He reported it. It turned out to be wrong, as we know. Only one daughter was on the helicopter. ABC then suspended him yesterday for that erroneous report. And he came out publicly and said, I should have known better. I went with information that I wasn't positive to be true. The reason why Matt Gutman was suspended was for one reason. There was such a public pressure. Do you remember we talked about the Washington Post reporter who got suspended for the tweet about Kobe's uh, assault, sexual assault trial in Colorado? That reporter got suspended. Guess what? That reporter was reinstated quite quickly. Now ABC, which happens to own ESPN, which is a big, big cover of basketball, a big rights holder, they suspended Matt Gutman because they felt he did not do his job properly to the standards that we have at ABC News. It leads me to a question I ask. Is that our fault? Is there a chance the way we are made it so this happened this way? Is there a chance that your desire, if you're, when you're listening to this show, I'm the same way, I'll admit it. I admit it. I want information. I want it before anyone else. I want to be first. And if you're not right, I want you to correct it later. I'm always a believer when there's information out there, it's always better for someone to have it. The only reason Matt Gutman should get suspended is if he went public with the report that the four daughters died and he knew it to not be true or he made it up. If he heard it from someone who he felt was credible in a news story moving a hundred miles an hour, you go with that. We talked about it with terms of TMZ going with the fact that there was a crash. When you're trying to figure out who's in it, you do the best you can to get the information you can. You use your sources, you get your information. If you can't be right, you correct yourself. But if we're now suspending reporters, who are not doing it maliciously, who are not doing it purposefully, what we're actually saying is hold off until you get a complete picture. Here's the problem. We're four days after that tragedy. There's still not a complete picture. We don't know exactly what was going on. Should the helicopter have been flying? Should it not have been flying? What was the weather like? We're hearing drips and drabs of possibilities. You can never wait for the full complete story. Matt Gutman got suspended. You're going to see him get reinstated. This is more a move to appease the NBA, in my opinion. 
This guy is counted on to report on major serious news stories. You want to make sure you get it, what you can write, when you can get it, but give the information to the public and make sure you stay on the story. Pick of the day, I got two. I got a Super Bowl prop pick and then I've got a pick. I'm doing a Super Bowl prop pick every day. We're talking Demi Lovato today. Demi Lovato's doing the anthem. Will she forget or omit a word from the national anthem? I love that. It's yes plus 375. Make sure you go yes. Why? Every anthem singer always forgets or admits part of the word or says a word wrong. Remember, to win that bet, you have to prove that she doesn't enunciate every single word perfectly. I think you'll win 375. Pick of the day, Raptors, nine and a half. I've lost two in a row with the NBA. It bothers me. Raptors have now passed the Heat second in the conference. I actually love the fact that the Raptors are only giving nine and a half to Cleveland. I'm not a big Cavalier guy. The Raptors are a good team even without Kawhi. They have been underlooked, looked past, looked through the entire season. And here they are, the number two seed in the East as the defending champion without Kawhi Leonard. Could Toronto have made the right decision? It wasn't their decision. They wanted him back. I think nine and a half is good. I'm still reeling from the fact that Carmelo won last night. And I'm still not over the fact that we lost our Bucks bet. But we won six in a row before that. Raptors. Okay. Wait to see what's better on Monday. What do you all do Monday after the Super Bowl? What is the, what's the thing that we all report on? It's pretty funny, right? Everyone's looking for stories because we have stories, right? Because players are meeting the media. Everyone's here in Miami. It's a party a minute. You, there's so much to do. Come Monday, you have one thing you're talking about. You're doing the game, right? You're talking about the game. You're showing the trophy ceremony. You're going to talk about the parade. But you're also going to talk about the ratings, People are obsessed with ratings. They're obsessed with how many people are watching the game. The leagues are obsessed with this. I spent more hours in Major League Baseball over 18 years pouring over ratings and viewership numbers and Nielsen and subscribers, all numbers so we can feel good about ourselves and our product. Last year, only 98.2 million people watched the Patriots beat the Rams. There was Tom Brady fatigue. Los Angeles, who cares? People don't even watch the Super Bowl in L.A. People don't care about their own teams. Guess what? This year, wait to see. The ratings will be up. Patrick Mahomes is a bigger story than Tom Brady with more national interest. Tom, I know this upsets you. You want to be the best, the GOAT, off the field too. But hey, Tom, guess what? This is business to everybody but you. It's nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.